My name is Deb Stanfield, and this is a Reimagining Social Work podcast. I'm with Professor Liz Bedeau from the University of Auckland, and our conversation today is about abortion legislation in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Tēnā koe, Liz. Kia ora, how are you, Deb? Good, thank you. Um, Liz, you've been deeply and actively interested in the abortion debate for decades. And in fact, in late 2018, you and I recorded a podcast for Reimagining Social Work about the proposed changes, the then proposed changes to abortion legislation. And a lot's happened since then. Um, And here we are again over a year later. Uh, First, however, could you please tell us a bit more about this long-standing interest that you have in issues related to abortion? I think I first became um, interested in in abortion law reform when I was um, a student, an undergraduate student, and was involved then in the the legislation that was eventually passed in the 70s, which then operated for 40 years. And my interest um, was also because I was a practitioner in women's health um, for a period of time and, and experienced um, abortion protests outside my workplace and saw the impact of, of those protests on the clients I was working with. And then I got interested again over the, the opportunity that was provided in 2019 and 2020 to actually um, change the law. So it's been uh, over quite a long time. Okay, so um, uh, maybe perhaps you could give us just a really brief background of that legislation change uh, that happened in 2019. Yeah, well, the, um, the, the, there was an extensive consultation period, um, which we've, we've, I've written about elsewhere, actually, on the RSW blog. So for people who want a bit of background to that, they can find out about that. But eventually, the um, New Zealand Parliament passed legislation in February 2020, um, that removed abortion from the Crimes Act and changed the um, the legislation that, as I said, been operating since 1977. It legalised abortion and it simplifies the process of getting abortion care. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's greater potential, I think, for more improvement in services over time. There are, um, there are a few little roadblocks at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that so that's that's the background. Um, All right, and what's yeah. the current issue then that you're interested in? Well, the current issue is that due to some political process um, in Parliament, which you know this was a very contentious issue and was a, a conscience um, issue, and so there were heated debates and lots of toing and froing of of, of clauses that might um, liberalise things and clauses that might make things harder. What we didn't get was a really clear steer on safe areas or safe access. And what that means is that we abortion reformers wanted it to be possible for people to seek abortion care or to work in abortion um, health care without harassment from protesters. And we didn't get quite what we wanted. So this there's currently um, a bill before the House um, it's called the Contraception, Sterilisation and Abortion Safe Areas Amendment Bill. And that's been introduced by um, Louisa Wall as a private member's bill. And it aims to protect safety and well-being and respect the privacy and dignity of women um, accessing abortion facilities and also the practitioners um, providing and assisting. So what it does is, is it... Um, 
provides a regulation that makes it possible to set up the safe areas around services. It, it suggests that on a case by case basis, and there are some concerns that that might be a slow process. And because it's case by case, it means you, any new provider that sets up, say for example, a GP or a family planning clinic is able to provide medical abortions, um, they then be, could become subject to this harassment. Um, and they would have to go through the process of, of, of getting this sorted out. Um, and, and that seems slow and a bit unwieldy. Um, so the idea is that, that the, the way that the, the wording is at the moment is that it will um, define pro prohibited behavior around abortion services as intimidating, I have reading this a bit because it's um, it's important to get the wording right. Intimidating, interfering with, or obstructing um, a protected person—that's a person who's seeking the service—with the intention of frustrating the purpose for which they are, you know, on the premises. I'm not going to read it bit by bit. Um, and it could be things like communicating with, visually recording, or um, approaching people um, who are in the. Uh, around the premises um, at the time when they're seeking health care. So it also puts a penalty in there. Um, the bill currently says that if you um, commit an offence under that, um, that definition of behaviour, that you could be liable to a conviction or a fine um, not exceeding $1,000. But presumably you could, be, um, you could be fined repeatedly if you kept doing it. Okay. So, so are you happy with this uh, proposed legislation, Liz? And I guess it's um, also just the question around the impact of protests outside abortion clinics on women uh, or people seeking abortions. And um, yeah, so how do you feel the the, um, the legislation is responding to that impact? I think there's, there's room to improve on that. And a little bit later on, I'm, I'll talk briefly about a petition that aims to encourage the legislators to think about the wording. Um, but I'll get back to that. But I think it's important to talk about the impact of protests about abortion clinic, uh, outside abortion services. Um, and people who are listening to the podcast may have noticed the photograph that's on the RSW blog that they would have launched this um, podcast from there's a photograph of a, a group of people standing on a footpath looking across the road holding brochures with a banner um, and you know they don't look too intimidating um, but they are there they're in full sight of the um, abortion service they're in full sight of the people who are going in and out of the service um, and people probably wonder what they're doing there when they're walking um, out of the, super, the supermarket car park where they're standing. Um, I think it's, it's sometimes people think, well, it's, is, isn't it harmless? I mean, I talked to the protesters and they said that they thought they were harmless. They thought it was just peaceful praying. Um, and I don't think that's harmless. Uh, many people, including me, um, regard unwanted prayer in my space uh, when I'm going about my lawful business is to be intrusive and offensive. Um, it is a form of harassment, as I told them, and it does cause emotional harm. Um, and I think by allowing it to continue, by normalising that kind of behaviour, 
um, and being worried that it might pop up um, in other places, it actually um, allows for other kinds of intrusions into personal decision making. Um, and, and I guess the question I've always asked is what other health service do, do people run the risk of harassment when they're going in? They don't. Um, people can go and access all kinds of health healthcare that may be to do with their reproductive um, system. It may be part of their um, general healthcare. They don't expect to be harassed. So why is it that we normalize um, and allow this to happen? Um, and I don't think it is a, a speech, a freedom of speech, uh, matter. You can go and make a town hall statement, you can stand on a soapbox in a park. That's quite different to actually approaching people personally in an intimidating way, recording, taking videos, um, foisting posters and pictures on people is not harmless. Um, so there's also the, um, the, the, the tendency sometimes for people to um, say we can help you, we can help you. Now everything we know about that is the help is never real. Um, it's often very misleading what people are offered. It may be a service that is apparently neutral but isn't and the physical financial help that is offered is, is hardly ever forthcoming. Um, so really in a sense the, the aim of these services is to cause distress and to make people go away. I imagine, and I know you're not the only person concerned about this issue, um, Liz. And I and I, I wonder about research um, that's been done on this topic. Yeah, there's quite an extensive research actually, um, and I um, I've summarised a little bit of it on the on the blog post as well. But um, one of the things I think it's important to say is that there is the, the body of literature says that these protests are distressing. Um, pe people going to abortion services and their family members, their partners, their friend, anyone who's gone along with them as a support person find these protests intrusive, intimidating, embarrassing um, and scary sometimes. Um, they don't know if they're being recorded, for example, and that might be a real issue of privacy uh, for people. They're probably not that effective in changing people's minds. Um, there is some research that suggests that the most people don't change their minds, but they do experience that sort of emotional distress. And it's a kind of gendered harassment. Um, and there is some literature now looking, looking at that as, as a, another form of gendered harassment, because it is mainly women who uh, are subject to this, um, this street harassment. And it adds to the long list of other kinds of harassment that women face in the street and public. So um, Fiona et al, um, just, just published last year, found that patients experience some quite profound emotional distress uh, when, when they're faced by these, um, these demonstrators. Um, Similarly, um, I think there's a Canadian study, Foster, Pussot and La Roche, uh, again published last year, found that seeing and interacting with protesters was unsettling, stigmatizing and frustrating. Again, it didn't necessarily change people's minds. It does, um, there is other research that says sometimes it does or it, um, or it delays people's decisions, but um, 
One thing we do know from um, research carried out by Ostrash and Cheney in 2014 was that the harassment, particularly um, the more intimidatory kind of harassment, did often lead to delays and that that was frustrating and scary for low-income women who are already struggling to access funding for their abortion care. So it caused delays that might mean there was greater expense. They would often cancel appointments or reschedule appointments if the protests were really bad because they didn't want to go in. So there are these, um, these, these, these studies that, that do indicate that these protests do cause harm. And there are still really a lot of barriers for, um, for people, um, you know, people in rural situations, people in low, who are low income, people who have to find money and, and transport across town to access an abortion service. So having another layer of, an, of, of harassment and hassle um, just adds to the already stressful situation. Thanks, Liz. I, I guess, um, you know, from a social work perspective, you know, I, I uh, maybe it's clear to people who are listening to this podcast what the issue is for social workers. But I'm wondering if maybe just as a summary, you might just have a couple of words to say about why this is a social work issue. Well, for me, it comes back to really, um, you know, first principles in social work, our basic values and our, defini our definition of what we are as a profession is that we are committed to social justice and human rights. And reproductive justice is, a, is an important part of, of, of human rights. Um, without the right to make decisions about our bodies, we are, um, we are being limited. We, we're subject to power over us that is, should, be, should be unacceptable um, to social workers. Um, we are also um, committed to that, that idea of, of client self-determination, of, of, of autonomy, of the right to um, seek health care, to have support to seek health care. That's a social work issue. Um, we also should be worried that protest activity could escalate in New Zealand. Weirdly enough, although the law has made many aspects of getting an abortion easier, um, indirectly it could make matters worse for protesting because at the moment most abortions are carried out in DHBs and social workers are there as part of the support systems um, for patients seeking those services. The law, the new law does allow for um, GP clinics, um, GP practices, family planning practices or other uh, primary health healthcare providers to provide access to some abortion care, that those groups will be smaller, they'll be much more exposed, they won't have the, the advantage of a large DHB that has security on the front door and, um, and, and a rabbit warren of services. Um, how would you know someone going into a DHB, for example, was seeking abortion care or sexual health care? You're not necessarily going to know. But if, you're, if you bec it becomes known that you are you know, going to a family planning clinic or a GP that offers abortion care, then you may more, be more likely to um, face harassment. So we think it's really important that social workers oppose that um, and, uh, and support safe access areas. Uh, earlier in the podcast, you referred to a petition that social workers could 
I think it was a petition could sign yes. or yes. Um, yeah, so, so some form of support that um, yeah. social workers can do. So maybe you could just describe that as a way of ending. Yeah, definitely. Podcast. I think, um, you know, in terms of what social workers can do about this, there's the petition, um, the action station petition, which is open at the moment. That's the easiest thing to do. Take you a few moments to click on the link in the RSW podcast um, blog and um, and answer that uh, petition, sign that petition, which is really about um, really encouraging legislators to to do a good job of making safe access um, areas a reality and not too wishy-washy and watered down. If you've got a bit more time, you can make a submission. The submissions are open on the parliamentary website until 28th, which is next Wednesday, uh, 28th of April. I've put the link for both the petition and the submission on the blog. Um, a submission, people often get frightened. They think they have to write 50 pages for a submission. Actually, short and sweet is good. You could probably just summarize some of the, um, the arguments made uh, I've made or the things that are on the on the blog post and just pop those in. It doesn't necessarily take you more than about 20 minutes to to put a sub submission in. And I would urge social workers who consider themselves to be committed to social justice and human rights to do just that. Kia ora Liz. Um, thanks for your work on this and for bringing uh, it to our attention. Thanks Much appreciated. The, thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. Kia ora. Kia ora.